My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. One of the things you may hear someone say when they are presented with something that might sound too good to be true is, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. That could range from something as simple as the size of a fish that got away. It was this big. I'll believe it when I see it. And that's probably a good thing when you talk to fishermen. But it could also range to something uh, as incredulous as the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I'll believe it when I see it. Here's the thing, though. Even when presented with evidence, those who say they'll believe it when they see it will usually stick to their guns even after being corrected sometimes. That's because they don't really want to see, because they don't really want to believe. Especially when it comes to faith. We don't want to believe in a God that actually asks us to do anything contrary to any of our beliefs. We don't want a God that has a claim over us. Because for us, we think that personal bodily autonomy is the highest good. We don't want a a God that asks us to live in particular ways. We don't want to serve a God that we are subject to. But in today's reading, we get a story from the Gospels about St. Thomas and his refusal to believe in what was told him about Jesus' resurrection unless he saw it for himself. So the reading from the Gospel according to St. John, we we heard the story of Jesus' post-resurrection appearance in the upper room where his disciples were hiding. And we know that they're hiding there because obviously the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities colluded to crucify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the text makes the point that the doors were locked. So there's no way in and there's no way out without somebody operating some type of locking mechanism somewhere. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is just standing there in the room. One minute he's not there, and the next, there he is. How would you react? Which is probably why he had to say, peace be with you, twice. I remember one time, no, no, I won't tell the story. So you would think that this would make them even more afraid, right? Which is why the first thing Jesus says is, you know, peace be with you. And the text says he shows them his hands and his side. And this is important, brothers and sisters, because he still bears on his resurrected body the wounds inflicted upon him during the crucifixion. And you may ask yourself, well, why? Well, he's showing them, hey, this is not an illusion. I'm not a ghost, right? Um, It's really me. This isn't an illusion. This isn't a mirage. This isn't a burning sensation in your heart. Here I am. I'm really here. I'm standing right in front of you. Here's the markers of my identity. This is the same person. Peace be with you. It's interesting, in the middle of their fear, the first thing he pronounces over them is peace. Then he breathes on them, and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
Now they're going to receive the fullness of the Spirit in the book of Acts. And we heard from the book of Acts Peter's sermon, uh, one of Peter's sermons. But this is a different experience from Pentecost. St. John Chrysostom notes that the reason why Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, is because he's differentiating a gift that's being given to them right now versus the gift that's going to be given to them at the day of Pentecost. And in John's Gospel, the gift that's given to the apostles is the gift of forgiving or retaining sins. The gift of forgiving or retaining sins. And then at Pentecost, they will receive the gift of miracles. But Thomas is not present. And the disciples tell him what occurred, but he does not believe and says, unless I see it, or as what we would say today, I'll believe it when I see it. So just over a week later, something happens. They're all gathered together again. This time, Thomas is there. And again, the text notes that the doors were locked. Remember, these little details matter. And Jesus just appears in the room and he says it to them again. Peace be with you. And Jesus challenges Thomas to do what the disciples had done eight days earlier. To see and to touch his scars. Thomas responds to his invitation with this comment. My Lord and my God. Jesus responds, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. In other words, blessed are those who, who will believe even if they don't see it. Almost everyone else who will come to believe on Jesus from this moment on is actually going to become a believer based on not seeing Jesus. They're going to come into the faith based on the testimony of other people who were witnesses to Jesus, who saw Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus. But after this point on, after his ascension, most people will not have an experience of seeing Jesus. Except for very few people, like St. Paul on the road to, um, on the road to uh, Damascus to, to persecute the, the believers that are there. He's meditating on the scriptures, right? He has a vision. If you come to Revelation class, you'll hear about this, about God's throne chariot. He's meditating on this, right? Probably praying the Shema to himself over and over again. Hero, hero Israel, hero, the Lord our God, is, the Lord is one, right? And he has his vision. And he sees the throne of God. And who does he see on the throne of God? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, right? But most people in the New Testament, and from then on, and for our own time, will not see Jesus. And that stretches, brothers and sisters, all the way from their time to ours, through history, linking us all together with those who originally saw and believed but we are more blessed because we believe and have not seen. Now, St. Peter picks this up in the epistle reading we heard from him earlier. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So here he comments on their love for Jesus. And he says, you love him even though you have not seen him. Even though they have not seen him, they still believe in him. And this leads them to a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. And we ask ourselves, well, why? Because, as St. Peter notes earlier, what Jesus has done for them. Jesus has caused them to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope or a hope based on wishful thinking, but a hope based in reality. 
the reality of what Jesus has done and who he is, that he has an inheritance for us that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing. Imperishable means you're not able to destroy it. Undefiled means it is pure, no sin has touched it, and it is incorruptible. And unfailing means that no matter what happens, it is true and it will come about. This is the hope that we have. Imperishable, undefiled, unfailing. And all this awaits them even as they go through times of intense persecution and suffering. Because this hope is based on something. This has all come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Isn't that interesting? Even in spite of suffering, even in spite of persecution, St. Peter says to them, this is all still yours. It's funny. I think as Christians living in the day and age that we live in, Oftentimes we ask God to relieve our suffering or to provide us a way out of something that we've suffered. But how many of us actually ask God to give us strength to endure it and to go through it? Because I don't think many of us want to hear God say, like he said to St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Anyway. But these promises of salvation are certain and true, right? So, so if suffering and death were conquered by Jesus, then their suffering and death is also conquered by Jesus. And that means our suffering and death has been conquered by Jesus. And this is that great hope, that the resurrection, which St. Peter calls the salvation of our souls, is ours, that it is undefiled, imperishable, laid up, waiting for us. Now can you see what Jesus meant by those who are, those are, you who are blessed who, who believe and do not see? Because we receive without having seen him with our eyes, without having walked with him. But we've heard him from others. We've seen the power of Christ at work in others. We've seen the transformative power of the gospel. And in the reading from the book of Acts, we see how this great hope that we have in Jesus Christ is grounded in the scriptures. We heard a reading from the book of Acts. St. Peter preaches this sermon, and he says all of this has been promised to our father David. And then he quotes a psalm that, that one of David's descendants would rule the throne of Israel forever. Peter cites the psalm to show the resurrection of Jesus was God's plan and was foretold to them by God through David and the prophets. He ends it with saying that, hey, we are witnesses to it. We saw it. I saw it. John saw it. James saw it. We all saw it. And then other people even saw it afterwards. We have the, the account in the Gospels. Other people saw it. So we are testifying to you that this is true. You know, in the Torah, it says, you know, on, on the basis of two or more witnesses, may everything be established. Right out of the gate with the resurrection of Jesus, God gives us, well, 11, right, because uh, Judas, right? But God gives us 11 people who were witnesses. Not two or three, he gives us 11. Not to mention all of the other people who Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, like his stepbrother James. And then the two disciples, St. Luke and Clopas, on the way to Emmaus. They were all witnesses of Jesus. 
God goes over and above what was required to establish something as true. And it's interesting how none of these things, none of these truths, the eyewitnesses' accounts, are laughed at and scoffed at today. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen, Jesus says. We are witnesses. And here's the thing. Everybody who comes after them did not see it. They haven't seen it. They're just hearing about it. We haven't seen it. We were just hearing about it. But guess what? It's true. And because it is true, it has power. And we live in a culture that says there is no truth but the truth that you hold to yourself. Right? Nothing is true. There's only my truth. There's only your truth. There's only her truth, his truth, whoever's truth. There is no truth other than what you think is true. And that, brothers and sisters, is garbage. There is no what's true for me is true, is, isn't true for you. If it's true, then it's true. I sound like Yogi Berra there, right, for a second. <laughs> if it's true, then it's true. Wherever you go, there you are, whatever, right? No, but this is the thing. There is no different truths for you, you and you and you and you. There is truth, and then there's what is true, and then there's what is false. There's the truth, and then there are lies. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then like I said on last Sunday at Easter, everything that we're doing here serves no purpose and we, we'd be better served just, I don't know, getting in a car and going to Shady Maples and, and eating till we explode, right? Because this is a useless thing that we're doing here this morning. But what we believe is true. That what God has done for the world is true. That in Christ alone, salvation has come to all of humanity and to all of creation. It is true. And because it is true, it has power. And because it is true, we don't have to rely on our own eyesight to see it. The other day, well, the other day, about a couple months ago, I had a pair of glasses and they got really scratched up. I paid extra to have scratch resistance, but for some reason, it didn't work so well. So my glasses just kept getting scratched up. So I went and I had a replacement, this pair sent. And then they sent them back to me and I put them on. I could see clearly again because all of the scratches that were distorting my vision are gone. We can't always sometimes though, brothers and sisters, trust what we see because sometimes we don't understand what we see. Sometimes our eyes need to be cleansed so we can see. Sometimes our eyesight is blurry. When we, when we do the songs out of the, the hymnal, printed out on the piece of paper, I have to take off my glasses because I, need, <laughs> I have to read them unassisted or else it's going to be super blurry for me. And then I put my glasses on so I can look at all of your wonderful faces. Sometimes our eyesight is blurry and we have spiritual eyes. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's something that's actively blinding the eyes of humanity. Not our biological eyes, but are blinding our spiritual eyes. Right? So for some, even if we were to see the risen Christ in all of his glory, we would still not believe. Jesus could appear himself right now in the middle of the room and somebody would say, that was a hologram like Tupac at Coachella. Right? A hologram for you. If you don't know what that is, come talk to me afterwards. Right? It's special effects. 
There's a, uh, Pastor Mike had a, an animatronic in the, in, the, in the chancel here, and the floors opened, and Steve built it in his spare time, and out came like this with lights shining out of it. No, we, <laughs> our eyesight isn't always the best indicator of reality. More so, that is true of our spiritual eyes. Because our spiritual eyes are being actively blinded by something, by someone, by the powers of evil. And this is the Christian faith, brothers and sisters. This is the Christian life. And I think St. Augustine put this so well. And I'll close with this quote when he said, Our whole business in this life is to heal the eye of the heart whereby God may be seen. And as our hearts are cleansed and healed and restored, we may not have a vision of the risen Christ like St. Paul did. But we get a vision of the risen Christ when we gather here together in worship, in prayer, in sacrament. We see Christ. We see Christ at work in our lives. We see Christ at work in the lives of others. And as we do so, as we enter into the Christian life, the power of the Holy Spirit cleanses our hearts and then we are granted true sight. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.